1 Peter chapter number 3, verse number 1 says this, Likewise, you wives, be, sub- be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they, may, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of their wives. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair, wearing of gold, or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Amen. Thank you for standing and praying you can be seated. We've been studying, as you know, from First Peter recently. The last several Wednesday nights, we've uh, been studying chapter 1 and chapter 2, and we're continuing that tonight. First Peter, of course, was written to believers. It was written to people in the church, people who had already been baptized in Jesus' name, people who had already received the gift of the Holy Ghost. So we have to keep that in mind when we read these verses that Peter is not writing to people who are not in the church. He's not writing to unbelievers, but he's writing to people that know the Lord, who are doing their best to walk with the Lord. And if you were able to be here last week, we talked about submission. And when we got done, we had a great altar service and people were running and jumping and shouting because we were talking about submission and authority and accountability. Not really, I'm kidding, being facetious. Nobody shouted, nobody jumped up and down, but we did talk about submission and how important it is that we have authority in our life. Amen. It is important that we um, are accountable to someone, to the Lord, to people. And as we pointed out last week, submission is not slavery. uh, Submission is not subjugation. It's not where somebody is saying, you have to do this. You are being forced. That's not what submission is all about. Submission is acknowledging God's authority. It's how God has set things up and put things in place. And if, you, if you're looking still there in 1 Peter, in chapter 2 and verse number 12, these are just a couple of things that we talked about last week. But he said in chapter 2, verse number 12, that we are to have our conversation honest among the Gentiles. That's people outside of the church. He's telling people in the church, let your behavior be upright to people that are not in the church. And he said, we're strangers and pilgrims in this world. In other words, we're passing through and that we should live a life that hopefully will cause people out there to want to glorify God. And so that's, that was what we were diving into last week. And then verse number 13 of chapter 2, he said, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors, unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of them that do well. And we talked a little bit about how important it is that we submit ourselves to every ordinance of man, that God has ordained. This is important. God has ordained the family, God has ordained the church, and God has ordained government. And the scripture teaches us that we are to be submitted. We are supposed to be in, under subjection to those um, ordinances that God or those institutions that God has ordained now sometimes the government makes a law that is not um, in alliance with his with God's word or 
they pass they pass ordinances or they pass rules that says you have to do this and that's it's not um, agreeable with God's word or God's people and in those cases we're not going to obey those laws and that's okay but we're still going to respect the government we're still going to honor those that God has placed over us we respect the institution of government and we may disagree with certain people or certain uh, laws or certain things about the government but we still respect the institution of government because God has ordained that just like we submit to police officers we respect police officers we respect them we we submit to them again there's there's bad cops we all know that there are crooked police officers but as a whole we submit ourselves to the that that institution of of that part of the government and we teach our children to do that too we teach our children to be respectful of the police department we don't teach them to be um, I used this word last week and somebody told me they had to look it up or they did look it up but we don't teach our kids to be hooligans when it comes to the police we teach them to be respectful we tell hey when a police officer tells you to do something you're supposed to do it um, we, we teach our kids to respect school teachers too amen sister Jones right and that's, that's, that's an important thing. We don't teach our kids that they rule the classroom. We teach them authority. And, and that's, that's very important. And so then we get into chapter 3 here tonight. And the Apostle Peter talks about the home. He's talking about um, some very important things to have a happy and successful home. And he starts with the wives. And... He says in verse number one, chapter three, verse number one, if you're still looking at it there with me, he says, likewise, likewise, ye, ye wives, in the same way or in the same manner that Jesus, and, and this is like, you have to remember, this is one continuous letter, and in the previous verses in chapter two, Peter is talking about how that Jesus submitted himself to the will of God, he gave his life, he shed his blood, and so he says, in the same manner Ye wives, be in subjection to your own husband. Um, he is telling them, imitate Jesus. Be like Jesus. You know, imitation is a pretty good teacher. If you can watch somebody do that, you know, I think that's why the YouTube videos are so, are so popular when it comes to fixing things or making, making something to eat. Is you can pull up a, a YouTube video and they'll show you how to fix a part on your car. They'll fix, show you how to fix a, a wonderful pie or how to cook something, and you can imitate what they're doing. Well, they did this on imitation's a great teacher, but it's important to have the right kind of teacher. It's important to have the right teacher, and Jesus is our example. He's the one that we want to follow. And so here's what I would say to us tonight, that when Christian families follow the example of the world, they're in trouble. But when Christian families, husbands and wives, follow the example of that's in the Word of God, they're going to have a blessed home. Amen. Um, so it's important that our homes, we imitate Jesus Christ. And so he says twice here in these first few verses that we read, verse number one, verse number five. Verse number one, he says, be in subjection to your own husbands. Verse number 5, the latter part of verse number 5, he says it again, being in subjection unto their own husbands. 
And again, this is very important. Peter is not saying that that wives are less important or they're he's not saying that they're inferior to their husbands. Again, we're talking about authority. This is just the the level of authority that the Lord has designed. He has set up in the home. And so the word subjection here in verse number one and verse number five, the word subjection, it is a military term that means to place under rank. Means to place under rank. In the military, I wasn't in the military, but several of you were. But there are multiple levels of authority in the military. And the military has to have that structure so that it can operate, so that it can get things done. If everybody were, was on the same level, there would be too many people trying to boss, too many people trying to tell other people what to do, but there would be no level of authority, and there would just be chaos, there would just be confusion. But in the Army, the highest is a, a general, I assume, what, what's the lowest, Brother Connor? Private. So from, from a general to a private, you have all these different levels, and they have different responsibilities, but they work together to accomplish the work of the military. It's very important, very necessary to have that authority and structure. So in the same way, God has ordained levels of authority. In our home, God has ordained the husband to be the head of the home. Again, that does not mean that a husband is better or more important or superior to his wife. It is simply the level of authority or the, the structure which God has ordained for the home. Ephesians 5, and 23 says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. So here's, here's what I noticed when I read that again, is that Paul did not say that the husband is supposed to make his wife submit. The husband is not supposed to say, honey, do it. That's not what he's saying. He is saying that the, it is the wife's responsibility to fulfill this role. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. It's not the husband's job to be the dictator and say all right woman you're my woman i'm going to control you that's nonsense that doesn't work and uh not that i've tried it but it doesn't work <laughs> i mean only once no i didn't as warren wearsby said he said the husband's responsibility Is the love is my face red? It's because I'm hot. <laughs> Warren Wiersbe said, "The husband's responsibility is the loving exercise of divine authority under the lordship of Jesus Christ. The loving exercise of divine authority under the lordship of Jesus Christ." And so, here in chapter three, a wife, first of all, has an obligation to be under the authority of her husband. That means husbands have to lead, by the way. Um, I, I've seen a book around. I don't think I have a copy of it. I may, but I've never read it. Um, husbands who won't lead, wives who won't follow, or something like that. I, I haven't read that book, but I have read an excellent book that I ask when I do premarital-type counseling. I ask our cu those couples to get either read the book or watch the Focus on the Family videos, and it's a book called Love and Respect by Emerson Egerich. It's a tremendous book. Um, 
But first of all, here we go. Wives, they have an obligation to be in subjection or under the authority of their husband simply because the Scripture teaches us this. Number two, there is an opportunity. And I want you to look there again at, at verse number one. He said, wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of their wives. In other words, there is an opportunity if your husband is not in the church by your character, your good character, by your spirit, you can you have the opportunity to win your husband by your behavior. That's what he is saying. So we have an ob or wives have an obligation, but they have the opportunity to win their unsaved husbands. And then he says this, verse number three, whose adorning Again, he's talking to wives. Let it not be the outward adorning of plating the hair, wearing of gold, putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament. So there's the opportunity of being an ornament, the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of a great price. So he talks about what a wife is to be adorned with. A wife is not to be adorned with the outward ostentatious decorations of their hair and face and body. That, he said that's not what it's about, but it's about the adorning of a, a meek and quiet spirit. And the word adorning, I got to studying this a little bit, adorning comes from the word cosmos, the Greek word cosmos. We get two, at least two English words from the word cosmos. We get the cosmos as in the universe, the sky, the ordered universe. And the other word we get is cosmetic comes from the word cosmos and when Peter wrote this back in the first century they were under the Roman Empire Roman women they were captivated by the latest fashions just like they are today it's pretty normal right I mean we're people are paying attention who's wearing what who looks like what but the when Peter wrote this, these Roman women, they were captivated by that. They wanted to impress each other by their clothes, their decoration, their presentation of themselves. Peter's addressing this issue. And he is teaching women that your beauty does not come from all of this. He said your beauty comes from what's in here. The beauty is on the inside. And so here's what I would say is that a woman can wear makeup. They can put on expensive clothes, and they can make themselves think that they look good, and they can still be the ugliest person in a room. Because beauty is not determined by something that you wash off of your face. Amen. That's not where beauty comes from. And people have bought into that. So many people have bought it that... If I will put this makeup on my face, I will be beautiful. That is a lie. That beauty comes from what's right in here. See, glamour, what the world puts forth is beautiful. Glamour, that's artificial. It's, uh, it's external. But true beauty, it's real. It's internal. Glamour is something that a person puts on and they take off they put on the expensive clothes or the, the 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 certain kinds of clothes that's glamour but true beauty 
it never leaves you because it's on the inside of you. It's not some type of clothing that you put on or take off. Glamour is corruptible. It decays. It fades. See, that's why so many women, I'm not picking on women, but so many people are so worried about getting old and, and oh, how am I going to look? See, we're all going to go that way, right? I mean, it, we're not trying to be a downer here today, but we're all aging. And glamour, it decays and it fades. But true beauty, it grows more beautiful as the years go by. And so Christian women, Christian women who cultivate the beauty of their inner person and their heart, they do not depend on cheap external things to make themselves beautiful. These cheap external crutches. See, sometimes people wonder, well, where, where does, why, why don't apostolic women wear makeup? And apostolic women are not supposed to wear makeup. They say, where is that in the Bible? This is one place in the Bible that teaches that women should not wear makeup. In 1 Timothy, or excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 3. Another place is 1 Timothy chapter 2. Women should not wear makeup. You need to go back and study the scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And another thing is that all you have to do is you have to look at how facial decoration and face uh, makeup is used in the scripture. It's, it's not used in a positive light at all. It's often associated with prostitution and harlotry. And so, so ladies have to be careful that they don't fall into the trap that says, my beauty comes from what the world says is beautiful. And, and husbands need to encourage their wives and... and and I'll talk about that here in just a minute when I talk about husbands, but, but ladies should not feel that pressure because that's not where the beauty's coming from. The beauty's on, in, on the inside, praise the Lord, because we're all going to get old and we're all going to age and, and the world lies. The world lies. Amen. So let's move on here, verse number 7. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them, According to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together. See, I like that phrase right there. We're heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. Again, husbands and wives, one is not more important than the other, but we are heirs together, he says. And so I want you to look at these verses or this particular verse here with me for a moment. Because he says, husbands, dwell with them. He says, dwell with them. Um, that means spend time with your wife. He's telling husbands, spend time with their wives. Be present. There's, there's a stereotype of, of husbands in the past, of sitting in front of the TV watching football games and, and, you know, just not even paying attention to their wives. You know, they're caught up in that. But um, I got to thinking, you know, to, in today's world, it's not, it's not really just about some old lazy man sitting in front of the TV watching a football game. Um, but it is about screen time. And, and I, you know, I got to think of how much time people spend on their screens. I'm not talking about television specifically, but just their screens, their phones or their computers. Um, it's, it's, it's important that husbands are present with their wives. They're physically there. And screen time is becoming more and more of a problem, not just for husbands, but for families in general. Um, but physically, this is, where, this is where he addresses the physical side here. Spend time with them. Be present. 
It means a husband is to provide for the physical and the material needs of the home. He's not to be gone all the time or running around, but physically there. And then he says, dwell with them according to knowledge. Knowledge. Dwell with them according to knowledge. Now he starts talking about a man's brain. Um, I was talking to Mark McCullough. He's a pastor of the church right down the street from us today. And uh, I talked to him this morning. And I don't know how we got on the conversation, but he said, he said, you know, he said, I never knew how selfish I, selfish I was until I got married. And I thought that's good <laughs> that he recognized that. But, but that's so true because when two young adults get married, they're very selfish because they're used to taking care of themselves. They're used to living on their own. They're young adults. They're living their own life. But when, when two young adults come together and they are married, now, now they share a life with somebody, and it's no longer about one person. And a Christian man, a Christian husband, he said, dwell with them according to knowledge. A Christian man should know his wife, her feelings, her needs, her fears, her hopes. Warren, Warren Wearsby again, he said, he needs to listen with his heart. I'm still trying to figure that out. He said, he needs to listen with his heart and share meaningful communication with her. It's, it's hard being a husband, by the way. I'm looking at the two newest husbands here. And I should be looking at the, the senior members, too. But uh, um, it's not just a piece of cake. We've got responsibility. So it's not just physically dwelling with them, but according to knowledge, know who our spouse is, know about our spouse. And then he says this. He says in verse number 7, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Husbands are supposed to give honor unto their wife. This is um, more on the emotional side, supporting our wives emotionally. Um, I've, I've noticed that, and most of you know this probably, that Brother Wallace calls Sister Wallace, he calls her the queen, doesn't he? He refers to her as the queen. He's honoring her. That's, that's one way that he honors her. Um, that's important, giving honor unto the weaker vessel. Not weaker, not weaker in the sense of a, a lower on the uh, uh, importance, but weaker physically, basically, is what he's talking about. But give honor to that woman. Uh, one person said, treat her like an expensive, beautiful, fragile vase. Being courteous and being a gentleman should not go away after the dating season and they get married. Amen. So one more here. Look, he says in the last, the last part of verse number 7. He says that your prayers be not hindered. And now he's, now he's talking about spiritual things. That your prayers be not hindered. So it's, it's not just about a physical responsibility, but it's intellectually. It's about emotionally supporting our spouse. It's about spiritually supporting our spouse. Um, if there is chaos in our home, if there's not order in a person's home, it affects people's prayers. Um, if there is unresolved conflict in a home, it affects prayers. It really does. Conflict, we have to face conflict from time to time um, and deal with those things so that our prayers are not hindered. Look at verse number 8 here. We'll, we'll, catch, we'll touch on a couple more of these here. Look at verse number 8. Finally, finally be ye of all, 
be ye all of one mind. Finally, this is like he's summing it up. And now he's going to start talking about love. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be, be pitiful or show pity, be courteous. And so he's like, finally, the, summing it up, the sum total of it is, is love. And he says, love is evidenced here. When we have a unity of mind, finally, be ye all of one mind. Somebody say one mind. One mind. He said, be ye all of one mind. Love is evidence when there is unity. When there's unity in a home, in a church. Um, people know it when there's not unity in a church. They can recognize it. They can pick up on that pretty quick when there's division in a church. And Jesus himself said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, by your love one for another. And so love is evidence when there is a unity. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is, doesn't mean everybody has to be like me. Everybody in the church doesn't have to be 51 years old, white male, um, like me. But there is diversity in the church. And unity means that we, we cooperate in our diversity. And one of the things I appreciate about, our, appreciate about our church is that there are all kinds of people coming from all kinds of background. And not everybody in this church understands the same thing about the Scripture as other people. Some people have a rich heritage, a rich background of the Scripture, and they have, they have a, a great foundation behind them. Other people are newer in the church, and they, they, don't, they haven't caught on yet. They haven't understood all. But we have this, we have this variety in the church but everybody doesn't have to see things just like Derek Hansen does to be a part of the church. Everybody doesn't have to be the same. It's, it's like what Paul said. He said the church is a body. It's the body of Christ. The body has hands and feet, nose and eyes and ears. There's different parts of the body that serves different functions and different responsibilities. And he said one part of the body can't say to another part of the body, you don't belong because every part of the body is necessary. And so just like our body has hands and feet and different parts of the body, in the church, there are, there are men, there are women, there are young people, there are older people, there are mature saints, there are new saints, there are people who have different responsibilities and different functions, and just because everybody's not a preacher doesn't mean they're not a part of the body. But just because everybody's not a Sunday school teacher, or somebody, not everybody mows the grass, or not everybody does this or that, everybody has responsibility because we're a part of the body. And so there is, there's, we are cooperating in diversity and you know what? We have a problem when we can't stand other people in the church. Well, well bless God, I don't care about it. We have, a, we have the problem, not them. And so we cooperate in unity. Amen. So he said, um, we are different, yet we fulfill different roles in different ways. I, I, I listened to a book of last week um, on my Audible, and it's just one of those little free books. If you have an Audible account, you can... They have a ton of free books out there. But anyway, I found one called The Clutter Connection. And I was telling my in-laws about it the other day, not because I think they need it. <laughs> but I, we were just talking. But I found this book, man, and it's called The Clutter Connection. And I listened to it. It was only about three hours, four hours long. So I was, I was working over several days. I listened to this book. But it was very interesting because the author, she has a, blog and she has a YouTube channel or something I didn't go look at all that but she helps people organize and she says people organize differently and 
she said it's important to understand that people don't see clutter like you see it. And some people, when they start organizing thing, things in their home, they want everything just right in order, and they want it all put it away, and they all wanted it, they want it in a cabinet, or they want it somewhere, and they want it closed up behind doors. They don't want to see it. But there are other people, when they organize, he, she said they are visual organizers. function differently and they operate differently they have different personalities different mindsets different and so you know we've, we've got brothers and sisters all around the world people in the church they worship differently they praise differently they even pray differently they pray to the same God the one true living God but they function differently and they their their methods are different but it doesn't mean they're not a part of the church we all we're all a part of the same body Amen. So there's room for variety in the church. That's very important. That's a, that's a maturity issue. I don't want to belabor this point, but that's a maturity issue. issue. Immature people can only see through the eyes that they think everything has to be like they want it or like they believe it. But as we grow, as we mature, we see things um, differently. All right. Be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Having compassion one of another. Compassion, that's another evidence of, of love, is showing compassion. Compassion is a sincere feeling for or with the needs of others. It's where we get the word sympathy, our symp word sympathy from. It's not being hard-hearted toward each other. We share in people's joys and their trials and their life. And then he says, be pitiful or show pity. Pity is another way where love is revealed. It means a tenderness of heart toward others. And and I and I thought about this this week that you know with that huge tornado that went through um, Kentucky and Tennessee and all these this all this destruction. I thought you know we are just deluged with information nowadays, and we get we have news all the time. We have Google. We can pull stuff up. We can learn. We can read about stuff. We have we have just a, a plethora of, of information around us. We have information. We have news all the time. But there's a danger in that, in that we can get very desensitized towards stuff. And we can get kind of unfeeling about stuff. And we lose this pity. We lose this compassion because, oh, it's just another tornado or it's just another storm. Oh, it's just another school shooting. It's just another tragedy. But what Peter is telling us is that it's better to cultivate this compassion toward people, show people that we are concerned, show people we care, and it's something that uh, it takes work. And he says here, lastly, be courteous, be courteous. You know, it, it's it's too bad that Peter would even have to write that to people in the church. Be courteous. It's it's more than just acting like a gentleman, but it means to be humble-minded, to be humble. Humility is the foundation for courtesy. And a humble person, they put other people ahead of them. They they put other people ahead of them. Um, I'm I'm going to wrap up here and, and and just. But 
but we have a hope. This 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 was a part of big part of Peter's letter is he is encouraging people through through struggles, through tests, through the trial of their faith. He mentions that in this book, and um, we have hope. We're we're a part of a great body of believers. We have a great example in Jesus Christ, and. Why don't, why don't we stand? I'm just going to I'm going to wrap up here. I'm going to close here. But, you know, we have to keep our hope in front of us. If we can keep our hope in front of us, we can endure many things in life. If we lose hope, we become we become um, discouraged. We 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 become down. But if we can keep that hope in front of us, we can accomplish many things for the Lord. And and I was and I and I read I read this book. It took me about three years to read this book because I kept reading it, parts of it, and I put it down. But I finished this book the other day, and it was called Duty, and it told the story of the man who dropped the bomb on Hiroshima. His name was Colonel Tibbets, and the the men that were on that plane, that B twenty nine, with him. And there was a guy named Dutch Van Kirk that was on the plane with him, and his responsibility was that when they took off in that plane. They took off at 2.45 in the morning. You have to remember, this was 1945. They didn't have all the sophisticated navigational things that they do now on planes. 2.45 in the morning, they're flying to Japan to drop this bomb. And the way that they did it is they had this thing called a, a, a bubble sextant. Didn't know what that was until just the other day. But it was this device that you could look into, and it had a little circle on it and a bubble. And the way they would navigate to get from where they left in Tanayan to Hiroshima is that the guy with the navigation, he picked out a star. They had it all figured out, but they picked out a star. And they would look through this little bubble sectin, sectin, and they would look at that star, and they would keep the star in the middle of the bubble. And so as they're flying across, as long as they kept the star in the bubble, they could get to where they needed to go. And, of course, they dropped the bomb and ultimately ended the war. But I thought, you have to keep the star in the middle of that circle. Keep the star in the middle of the circle. And I thought, you know what? If you can keep, the, keep your hope in focus, keep your hope before you, you can endure any trial, anything that comes at anything in the world, if you keep your hope in front. If you let your hope go aside or you get discouraged, you're going to fall by the wayside. Go to the right or left, but just keep that bubble there. Keep the star in the bubble, and you'll have hope. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises tonight. Thank you, Lord, for this group of people. And God, today we are grateful for the truth of your word. That, Lord, we're looking forward to eternity one day. And I pray, oh God, that there would be a fresh resolve, a, a fresh zeal in each one of us, oh God, to obtain the prize that is set before us. I pray our hearts would be stirred, Lord, to revival, stir our city. Help us, God, to reach others, to win more, Lord to bring them into the church. I pray blessing, Lord, upon this group of people tonight as we leave your house. Watch over, protect us, I pray. In the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Appreciate and love you. Don't forget peanut brittle tomorrow night, prayer Saturday night, Sunday, 10 o'clock. Going to have a great service. Bring some food with you and a present if you want to. We're going to have a wonderful night. Amen. God bless you in Jesus' name.